Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, I'm Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation. Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, a podcast specifically geared to understanding the transition from high school to college athletics. My guest today is Jake Boss, head baseball coach at my dear alma mater, Michigan State University. Coach Boss has compiled 342 wins over 11 seasons in East Lansing, which represent the most wins over a 12-year span in program history. Coach Boss is responsible for five of the 10 winningest seasons in Michigan State baseball history. Please welcome Coach Jake Boss to the podcast. Coach, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, and it's good to see you too. Uh, so how are things in, uh, in East Lansing or thereabouts today? Yeah, well, things are good. You know, the sun is shining. It's about 30 degrees, and uh, it's been a it's been a kind of a mild uh, off-season so far. So, yeah, it's finals week here at Michigan State, so all our guys are finishing up uh, this week, and then uh, Christmas break starts, and uh, we'll be at it here uh, before you know it, back again in January. Excellent. Yeah, hopefully things uh, start to get back to normal in 2021. I know everybody's uh, looking forward to a fresh start. So maybe just to start, you know, can you talk about the impact that COVID and the the current situation has had on the baseball program there at Michigan State? Yeah, well, obviously, Mike, it's it's been a crazy year, you know, not only for us, but obviously for everybody. And I go back to March 11th, you know, we were nine and six at the time and playing playing pretty good baseball. And uh, we were getting ready to get on a bus to go down to Terra Hood, Indiana for the weekend to play Indiana State in a non-conference series and, uh, you know, got the call that, that the uh, the series, first of all, was canceled. And then, you know, very shortly, within about an hour, you know, the rest of the season was canceled. And that was uh, that was one of the tougher meetings that I've had to, to lead as a coach, you know, because we didn't have any other information other than that. And uh, didn't know at the time that our seniors would get the year back eligibility wise and, and all of that. So thankfully, uh, you know, we took it the message to our guys was basically, you know, control what you can control. And, you know, we can only control how we react to it. And, and uh, you know, there's got to be some type of good eventually that'll come out of this, you know. And so our guys really did a nice job, I think. First of all, in the classroom, we finished with the highest grade point average that we've ever had here. Finish up a semester like that is pretty impressive, in my opinion. Uh, you know, dealing with that type of uh, adversity and, you know, having to switch to online classes and things like that. I mean, they really did a great job. And then, you know, even into the summer, we had a lot of guys that were able to get out and play summer ball in, in some shape or uh, form really had a good fall practice season with our guys. You know, we got about six weeks in and, and uh, really got a lot accomplished in the fall before we basically sent everybody home at Thanksgiving for the holidays and they're finishing up their, uh, they finished up the last couple of weeks online and then, you know, finals, you know, again, this week uh, online, but it was really good to see those guys again in person in, in August. You know, I mean, you, you can do as many Zoom meetings as you want, but it's just not the same. And, you know, it was, it was really, I mean, to be honest with you, it was kind of emotional, I think, for everybody just to be able to get back, get on the field, you know, together as a group. And, uh, you know, I think that's a sign of a strong program. You know, you can talk about wins and losses all you want, but when guys are, are excited to see each other and be around each other and things like that, I think, uh, you know, your program's in a pretty good place. For sure. And that's great. I mean, I, I think that one of those, that message of controlling the controllables, right, is is so huge, you know, whether it's in a, in a kind of an odd situation like this, but in and anything related to sport, right? And especially in baseball, there's so much that's out of our control and there's so many things that happen around us to be able to keep the emphasis on what we can do to make things better and what we can learn from a situation is always 
at least in my view, a positive thing. But since we're talking about this high school to college transition, can you talk specifically about the effect you think this fall, you know, the kind of situation the fall season has had on your freshmen? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there were some concerns, I think, for the for the freshmen coming in, especially with the seniors coming back. You know, the, the concern was, well, you know, what's going to happen to me with, with my spot and, you know, and all, and all of that. And, you know, I understand that everybody wants to play right away. But at the same time, I think, you know, it, it really... A has helped our ball club because I think that that competition can be very, very healthy. You know, again, I think it goes back to what we just said, control what you can control. You know, as a freshman, you know, I think you're used to being the best guy on your team, basically, probably the majority of your life. And then you get to college and you're playing with a bunch of guys that are in the same spot as you and only nine of them can play. And so, you know, there are guys that this creates a lot of competition. And I think uh, when you handle that competition the right way, it makes you better. It makes the team better. You know, I think there's a lot of growth that comes from that. And, uh, you know, I think it, it can be difficult for freshmen early on. I mean, you're, your head is spinning those first couple of weeks because not only are you 18 years old playing against guys that are 22 and even 23 years old sometimes, but everything is just faster. It's the breaking balls are tighter. The game moves faster. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you better catch up quick or you're going to get left behind. And most guys uh, do a nice job with that transition. Some guys struggle with it. And, uh, you know, I think the guys that struggle with it, we really try to take, try to help them slow things down a little bit, understand that they've got a long career. You know, it's a four-year career, and there's there's really plenty of time. At the same time, there are things you can do to either that you're going to need to do to get to get caught up here. You know, and so understanding that a team of 35 guys again can only have nine on the field is a different concept for those guys coming in. And you know, you really you really need to work. You need to put in that time and, and that effort, which some guys may not have necessarily had to do before because they've just been able to rely on their talent. And you know, it was just uh, amplified, I think, this year uh, going into the fall with, uh, you know, last year's seniors coming back for for the next year. So uh, great opportunity to learn, though. Again, great opportunity to control their game. And uh, the quicker they understand that they can, again, they control what they control. You can't control what that 50-year senior is doing, you know, and you're certainly not going to cheer against them because we all want the same thing. We all want the same goal. And this isn't pro baseball. Uh, and so this is probably the last team that our guys are going to play on, you know, whether they go play pro ball or not. Because when you get to the pro ball, you know, we have a bunch of guys that come back every offseason to work out and they say, you know, it's, it's just so much different because you know you're in it for yourself at that point you're trying to move up to the next level and if the guy who's playing that day ahead of you goes over four you know in the back of your mind you're kind of happy about that you know because that could open a door for you so you know it, the focus is uh, is about you know Michigan State baseball and uh, you know what you can do in your role to help us be better yeah I mean there's a lot there's a lot there that I can kind of go with, but, you know, I think we're going to talk a lot about that transition from, from high school to college. And that's kind of the purpose of this, but I, I want to ask you, because I, I think I said this to you at some point, you know, while we were kind of talking about uh, setting this up is, you know, I'm just, I'm as an alum, right. And as a baseball guy, I didn't play baseball, in Michigan state. I tried to walk on, but I've always played baseball. I've always coached baseball. It's very nice for me to see that the program, the baseball program at Michigan State is a priority, that you've created a winning culture, that things are really kind of building, right? And you've taken a lot of pride in that. Can you just talk about some of the things that you've tried to instill in the players and the program there 
that have sort of led to the success that you've had? Yeah, Mike, you know, when we when we first got here, you know, 13 years ago now, I think it is, which is hard to believe time goes fast. But, uh, you know, when we first got here, we just, you know, I remember meeting with our staff, you know, before the players got back to campus and, and doing the research that we had done and talking to the people that we had talked to. I think it was very apparent to us that we, we just needed to, to love on our guys a little bit. You know, we needed to make sure that they understood that, you know, we're here for them. And, and really every cliche applies, you know. I mean, there's a million of them, but they're cliches for a reason. Our director of admissions at the time, uh, who's a baseball alum, uh, we had him come in to meet with a recruit, and and he told a story, you know, ironically, I guess, about uh, Archimedes, a famous, uh, or off of a quote from Archimedes, who's a, a famous Greek mathematician, I guess. And Archimedes' quote was, give me a place to stand, and I can move the world. And we really kind of took that and kind of adopted that, stole it, for lack of a better term, to what kind of what our philosophy was when we first got here. We just felt like we needed to give our guys a chance, a place to stand. And we wanted to give them ownership of the program. Uh, we wanted our leaders, you know, to, to take ownership of the program. And, you know, again, our basketball coach is the best there is, in my opinion. And, you know, Coach Izzo always says a, a player-coach team is going to be better than a coach-coach team. And, and so we, we tried to, you know, again, give our older guys and our leaders a lot of ownership. And, and a lot of responsibility. And, you know, the one thing where we really thought it's starting to happen here, you know, we had a good first year, but ironically, of all places, we noticed it in the weight room. I think, you know, in prior years, there was a lot of maybe complaining about the weight room of, you know, some of the workouts that they were doing. And, you know, guys had different ideas about what to do. And, you know, this isn't good for my body. We're this is good for my body and things like that. You know, I, I just told our leaders, I said, you need to fix this. You need to, to we need a culture where we're going to get in and we're going to work hard. You know, you may not, if you don't agree with it, you need to start asking some questions and, and understand why the people that are smarter than you are, are putting these workouts together. Um, and so communicate and things like that. And, you know, we saw a switch fairly quickly and the culture really kind of started there in the weight room that, um, okay, we understand what hard work is now. We understand that people are here to help us. And when that buy-in started to happen with the older guys, that carried over into the next year. And, and, you know, on the field, we had kind of a frustrating year. The next year wasn't great, but it was still building. And then in, in year three, we were able to win a championship in the first one in the seventies, you know, and it was all part of that culture that started really that first year. And I think started in the weight room during fall baseball. And, uh, you know, so again, it was just part of trying to create that culture of we're here for you. You know, we want to give you a place to stand so that, you know, you have the opportunity to feel like you can rule the world. And then at that point, you know, we really tried to stress, you know, three different, I guess, pillars to our program. And, and I get, well, I was fortunate to sit in a uh, workshop with young business leaders in, in the capital area here in, in Michigan, in, in the Lansing area. And the thing that kept coming back from business leaders from across the city uh, was discipline, passion, and detail. And those were the three things that I kept hearing from you know, unsolicited from all these different people. Uh, and, and so we kind of brought that back and put that into our program, you know, as well. And if we can do, if we can, if we can have great discipline off the field with our work habits, with our study habits, with our, uh, how we treat our body, with our sleep, you know, how, what we do on the weekends, we have great discipline. If we play the game with great passion and, and we find out, you know, off the field, what we're passionate about in the classroom, you know, we take those two passions and really, you know, put all of our energy and efforts toward those things that are that we're passionate about. And then if we play the game with great detail, uh, you know, if we do the little things correctly, we're going to win a lot of ball games. And, uh, you know, that discipline, passion and detail, I think that those are things that guys can take beyond Michigan State into their 
careers into their lives as, as husbands and fathers and uh, really whatever they do. And so, you know, again, it's just another way for us, I think, to try to breathe into these guys a little bit. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that's really important that you have leaders within the program at the player level that can carry that message, right? Because if your more experienced players are not heeding that message, if they're not doing what you're asking them to do, then how could the younger players just find an example for them to follow? And I think that that's, that's critical. I'm curious though, like, you know, since that time, you know, 12, 10 years ago, since you kind of first came in, have you seen an evolution in the high school players coming into the program in terms of weight training and because I mean obviously the game has become more sophisticated early specialization training those things kids are are getting more coaching and instruction earlier I think now have you seen an evolution in the freshmen and coming into the program yeah I think so I think uh, I think the freshmen are a little bit more aware especially the metrics and so I think that can be good uh, I also think that can be bad you know we had a, a young man a number of years ago that you know as an example we usually run the 60 yard dash at some point in the fall and he ran okay uh, you know it was a sub 760 yard dash but the last time he ran it in the summer or whatever workout he was at it was like a six six and he just couldn't understand why he didn't run a six six. And his question to me, well, what was that laser time? You know, did we laser time it or was it just off a stopwatch? And I I, I kind of looked at him the same way you just looked at me. I said, well, well, what difference does it make? This is what the watch says. This is what, you know, the 20 other watches that are around here on scout day all say the same thing. This is what the 60 time is. And so, you know, I think there's got to be a fine line of awareness between, okay, what are the metrics that everybody's teaching in the off season and, and things like that. And I understand a lot of those bells and whistles, you know, are, are, uh, are pretty important to a lot of people. I also think, uh, you know, I, I can appreciate the, the guys that are, that are running the indoor facilities and uh, want to stay on top of the technology and present the newest and latest and glitziest maybe um, way to teach the game. But at the same time, from my perspective, you have to be able to go out and play. And bat speed is great. And if you have a bat speed of 100 miles an hour, that's great. That bat speed at 100 miles an hour doesn't mean a whole lot if you can't make contact with the baseball, you know. So I think there's a fine line between the two. Um, and certainly, again, our freshmen are coming in probably playing, being more experienced. I mean, these kids are playing all over the country, you know, now and playing against, uh, you know, kids from, you know, all four corners of the of the, the continent, really, to be honest with you. And so that experience, I think, is great. Again, a lot of the metrics, I think they're more, more knowledgeable, probably, and more maybe self-aware, or they feel like they're maybe they're more self-aware than uh, than, than maybe 10 years ago. At the same time, the game hasn't changed. For all the metrics and all the things that are evolving and developing and things like that, at its core, the game remains the same. And you still got to be able to uh, get them on, get them over, get them in type of thing. And so, you know, again, I think trying to find that balance of taking the skill and making it playable is the challenge, I think, in today's game, I think. Yeah, I was I was watching a, a short clip before we came on uh, of an interview you did a few years ago, I guess. But you talked about the things that you expect, you know, playing hard and being proactive, right? In terms of the types of recruits that you want to bring in, kids who are kind of reaching out to you, they're giving you good information, they're being aggressive in the process. They're always playing hard because you never know when someone's watching, right? Like all those things resonate with me. Like, is that kind of still the philosophy or is that your philosophy as a program in terms of the types of kids that you're looking for at the high school level to bring in? 
Oh, for sure. You know, I think uh, I think those guys that play the game the right way all the time are the guys that I don't have to be concerned about off the field either. You know, I think I can trust those guys to get their work done academically. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not asking every guy to be a 4.0 student. If you're a 2.5 and you've busted your tail and you've done everything that you possibly can and worked extremely hard and you get a 2.5 grade point average, I'm just as happy with that, with the guy that works that hard and gets a four point. Now, the problem I'm going to have is if you're a 4.0 student and you don't work very hard and you get a three point, now I got a problem because you're not getting the best out of your ability. And so those guys that play the game the right way all the time, we'll go to, we'll go compete with those guys, you know, anytime, anywhere. And I think it does. It speaks to, you know, the, the discipline, passion, and detail that we talk to our guys about, you know, all the time. I think, you know, playing hard regardless of the score, uh, regardless of the outcome, you know, those guys that run hard from home to first on a, you know, one hopper to the third baseman, you know, that's a laser and they're thrown out by, you know, 30 feet. Those guys that run hard through the bag, I think that's important. That means a lot. Guys that want to be here at Michigan State, I think it just, it means a little bit more to them to put that green and white jersey on because I was one of those guys. You know, I wanted to play here. I grew up in the area. I'd have given my left arm to play at Michigan State, and it just wasn't good enough. And, uh, you know, that's that's part of it, too. I found a place to play and had a good career. And, and fortunately, you know, I'm able to live out a dream, you know, right now. But, you know, you have to be able to, I think, we, we try to take that type of, I guess, for lack of a better term, blue-collar mentality within our athletic department as well. I mean, you see our football team do it with Coach D'Antonio and now Coach Tucker and our basketball team, that's been a staple of what they do for years and years and years. And so those are two pretty good programs, I think, to learn from. And so we'd be, uh, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't try to deal a little bit of uh, that philosophy and put it into our own program. For sure. I mean, I, I think I, I made that comment to you before, you know, that just watching from far as a, as a fan, as a, an alum, the emphasis on player development, right? Recruiting is great. Getting athletes, five-star, four, five-star athletes is great. But you can still get a kid who's a two- or three-star athlete and develop them over time. And as a late bloomer, may maybe they come out and they become just as good of a player as you would have brought in at a, at a five, four or five star level, right? From a recruiting standpoint. So, you know, the ability to bring in people who are motivated to get better, I think is, is critical. And so I was kind of looking, I was made a note when you were talking a little bit before about those players coming in. I think one of the things that I think about when I think about the transition from high school to college is the ability to communicate with a coach, the ability to ask questions, like you said, and the ability to ask for help specifically, right? Because when you're a big fish in a small pond or you're the, you're a superstar in high school and then you come in to college and you're just like everybody else, like what's your willingness to be able to have a conversation with somebody, an honest conversation to figure out what you can do better? I mean, can you comment on that in terms of kids coming in? Like, where do you see their ability to kind of talk to you, talk to the staff, ask for help, want to get better versus maybe kind of shutting down a little bit when things aren't going their way? Well, yeah, Mike, you know, I think my assistants, first of all, do a tremendous job in the recruiting process, you know, and I think, uh, you know, not only have they been able to identify guys that, uh, uh, you know, having high upside and, and things like that, but, you know, we, they've been able to, to identify guys that have that type of character, I think, that we feel like can make our program better. And, and so with that, you know, not not everybody, obviously, but I think the majority of those guys are uh, a confident in their ability, first of all, but b you know also confident uh, as a young man and a young adult uh, having a conversation with with the coach. And I think the majority of those guys, you know, come in and are, are able to be receptive to uh, you know what we're telling them. Uh, you know, some guys will fight it because again they've had a lot of success and. 
you know, why should I change if I've been successful my whole life? But the guys that even the guys that do fight it, uh, I think can back that up a little bit and have a conversation. And it doesn't mean that they're right or it doesn't mean I'm necessarily right, because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. But the more the sooner they communicate, not only with me, but with my assistants and with, you know, somebody else, I, I think it's all, you know, uh, one of their teammates, maybe even, you know, I think the sooner that they're going to be able to handle different situations the right way. And, and really what we try to tell them is, listen, we're trying to prepare you for whatever's next. And hopefully, you know, pro ball is next. And when you get to pro ball, now I didn't play pro ball, so I'm going off of what I've been told by the players that I've coached. But what I've been told by those guys, is when you get to pro ball, you know, you better take some ownership of your own game. Because if you don't, and you wait for somebody else to come in and try to fix something or pull you aside or whatever, you're going to get left behind. You know, and so we're trying to get those guys to take ownership in their own game here first by communicating. And then even those guys that aren't going to go out and play pro ball, you know, you're going to need to get a job someday. Somebody from a big company is not going to come knocking on your door and say, hey, come work for me. It doesn't work that way. You know, you got to go out and pursue, pursue what you're passionate about and pursue that until, you know, you get it. It may take some time sometimes. So that that communication piece is, is, is obviously is huge. And it, it starts in the recruiting process. It starts with that first telephone call. It starts, you know, on the visit, you know, it starts with that first handshake as cliche again, as that is, it means a lot, you know, with the kid that give you a, a good firm handshake and look you in the eye and have a good conversation versus the kid that, you know, kind of gives you the limp wristed handshake and, and has a hard time looking you in the eye when you talk to them, you know, that, uh, that speaks a lot to, uh, to confidence. It speaks a lot to maturity, you know, and those are the guys that we want moving forward. I mean, I guess that, I mean, that makes sense to me, right? I, when I hear you talk about this, like I'm always, I'm nodding my head because I tend to agree, you know, that that matters, right? That ability to have a conversation, to look you in the eye, shake your hand. These are basic things, cliche things, but they, they do matter. So I'm always curious as a kind of a follow on there, so tell me about your experience with parents these days, because that's obviously a topic of conversation out there, you know, in terms of expecting a, a young man to take ownership of the recruiting process and of their performance and their school and all those things. And then parents who, I'm a parent, my kids are a little bit younger, but seeing other parents who tend to be a little bit more hands-on than they were, you know, 25 years ago or 30 years ago when I was a teenager. Yeah. Well, you know, we've asked our parents, you know, that my job is not to be the parent with your, when your son's here on campus. Now, my job is maybe to be a representation uh, of the parent and to, I'm going to back you, you know, as parent, I'm going to back you up the way that you raise your son. And as a coach, I would expect the same in reverse from our parents. I, I don't need you to be the coach, your son to Michigan State, for me and my staff to coach him. Let us coach him. Trust that what we're doing is in the best interest of the program first and then your son second. And, you know, Mike, again, I'm a parent as well. And I've got uh, three kids of my own, two of which are playing, um, you know, intercollegiate athletics at Division three schools. I don't know the first thing about volleyball. My, my daughter plays volleyball and softball. I don't know the first thing about volleyball, but I can tell you, you know, when my daughter is not on the court, I want to know why she's not on the court. Uh, and that can be difficult sometimes. And, uh, you know, the one thing that, that this job has really taught me is, is I need to trust that that coach is doing what's in the best interest of that team first. And my daughter's having a great experience and uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. But it's it's not easy to watch your your kid not play, you know. And we, we've had some tough conversations where, well, if you're not playing and you feel like you should be, then A, you need to go in and have a conversation. But B, maybe you need to practice better, you know. I mean, she works hard, but 
you know, maybe there are some things that in practice she needs to do better, you know, and just, you know, for lack of better, for the lack of a better term, I guess you just need to go out and play better and help your team in whatever way you can. And so I get that as a parent. Um, I get it now probably more than ever. But at the same time, you know, again, I'll be, you know, our, our phone lines are always open. Our doors are, are always open. The lines of communication are always open. And I just ask our parents, if there are any problems, questions, concerns that you have, feel free to call me. And I really kind of took that from Coach Izzo, to be quite honest with you. We had a conversation maybe after my second year here where I was kind of complaining to him about some parents that I thought were over-involved or whatever. And you know, my kids were younger at the time and, and he stopped me dead in my tracks and he says, you gotta, you gotta understand where they're coming from. And I had never taken that into consideration at all. And now as you know, an older parent, it's easier for me to do that. But when I didn't have kids that old, I didn't really want to see where they were coming from. And so that's really, things like that have really helped me, I think. And I think it's helped our team as well. Uh, it helps keep the lines of communication open and and our players know they're always going to get an honest answer out of me. Now, they, they may not like that answer. I'm certainly not going to rub their nose in it and be degrading or demeaning to them. But at the same time, they need to hear the truth. And our parents are the same way. And so, you know, we just try to deal with honest, open communication like that. And most people embrace it. Some don't. But again, that goes back to control what you can control. I, I can't control what anybody else is thinking about the decisions that I make for our team. I need to do what's best for our team and uh, first, and that's the, that's the priority. Yeah. A lot of the kids that I work with, whether it's individually or on staff as a mental performance coach, one thing I try to talk to them about a lot is empathy, right? Put yourself in coach's shoes. You've got nine spots in baseball and 25 guys on the roster. Well, do the math. Like you can't play 25 guys. You can only play a certain number of guys. There's a reason why. Now, if you don't like that you're not playing, to your point, what can you control? Your effort on the field. Maybe you could do something differently, work harder, or you can go to coach and say, hey, like, what's going on? Why am I, aren't I playing? It's not personal. They're not doing it to you personally. You know, I, have a, I worked with a coach who's a head coach at a high school here in New Jersey, and he always says to me, he goes, the kids that I never put on the field are the kids I probably like the best, right? So if I don't play you, it's not because I don't like you. It's because I've got to make a decision. And I think a lot of kids just revert back to, oh, there's something wrong with me. He doesn't like me. And that's just not, that's not it, right? I think that's a hard job to be a coach and to have to make those tough decisions for a program where you have to have everybody's interest at heart. Well, empathy is really tough, Mike. I mean, that's, uh, there is no question about that, especially in the age of immediate gratification and immediate satisfaction. And, you know, you look at your cell phone, you look at social media, you look at everything that we get is, is just such immediate feedback. It's all geared toward me. I mean, I'm on my cell phone because this is what I want to see. And this is what, you know, social media, I want to post this because these, these are I want to get this amount of likes for me and, and things like that. And it's so tif- so difficult. And I'm guilty of it myself. I think we all are, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And we address that immediately in our program. When something happens to your, you know, a teammate, teammate doesn't play well, strikes out, whatever. I think having a little empathy for him and the older guys, especially taking that young kid underneath their, his wing and saying, listen, you know, you, this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is the, some of the changes you need to make, because let's not forget, you as a senior, you were a freshman once too, you know, so you know what that guy's going through. So it's a little bit easier maybe for him to put himself into his shoes, into that freshman's shoes. It's not their job. It's not necessarily, that's a tough ask for the player to put themselves in the coach's shoes, but that's something that we challenge them to do. We, we have our guys evaluate the entire team at the end of the fall. 
Uh, it's done anonymously. Jimmy doesn't know who Billy voted for and vice versa. But at the same time, I want them to start thinking from my perspective. And okay, this is what, these are the guys that should play, all right? And be ready to be able to justify why, you know, okay, you think you should be playing over him. Well, why? What leads you to believe that? Just because you want to play? Well, that that doesn't work that way. You know, let's take a look at it objectively. And so just to get them to start thinking a little bit differently, that's a tough thing. Um, But I think the sooner they can realize that, I think the better off they'll be as people and the better off our program will be as a whole. Right. And all you can do is the coaches deliver the message and demonstrate the behavior that you want them to exhibit. And if a kid doesn't buy into it right away, like, what are you going to do about that? Right. You can't make them change. Obviously, there are things you could do to maybe kind of incentivize or punish behavior right at the end of the day. But if they don't want to change it and they don't want to put themselves in a better position to succeed, like, you can't make them do it. Well, yeah. And at that point, you know, again, they're at, they're at a crossroads, I think, at that point, because the ultimate motivator is playing time. You can think the coach likes you. You can think the coach doesn't like you. But, you know, that opinion, I, I've never met a coach that is going to put a group of nine guys out there that he doesn't think are the nine guys that are going to help him win that day. The player can always say, well, coach doesn't like me and that's why I'm not playing. I, I don't necessarily buy into that because each coach wants to win. That's that's part of, it's not the reason you do it, I don't think. But when you compete, if you're a competitor, you want to go out and win that game. And I'm going to put the guys out there that I think are going to help us win that game. And so, again, you know, it goes back to empathy, you know, and putting yourself in somebody else's shoes for sure. And again, you at that point, you have a decision to make. But that's where communication becomes so important. Uh, if you don't like it, you need to, to go communicate. And the door is always open. And we, uh, you know, I have guys in here in the office here all the time. And they, I know they feel a lot better after they leave because now it's all out there on the open. And we've kind of given them the roadmap. This is what you need to do to get onto the field if you're not happy with where you're at. This is the roadmap to do it. Now the ball's in your court. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I also think, you know, one of the things I'll say to kids sometimes is, listen, a coach's job is to develop young men, but it's also to win, which means if I don't win, then I don't keep my job, which means I can't feed my family. Like, yeah, do is that why people coach? I don't think so. Like, I don't do what I do for the money. I do it because I love to help people. But at the same time, like if I can't win, if I'm in your shoes and I can't win, eventually I'm going to lose my job. I mean, it's, it's a sad state of affairs, but that's the way it works. And so a kid needs to hear that. Even if they can't appreciate it right now, like that's just the way the world is. And if, if they don't understand that, or at least if they're not aware of it, then, then they're kind of, they're doing the coaching disservice, right? Uh, at least that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, there's no question, Mike. You know, I have to I have to win, and otherwise, I'm not going to. You know, I can't go on 56 and expect to keep my job. At the same time, I think our guys know that it's not a win at all costs type of thing. I mean, there are certain expectations for our program, and if those aren't met, I don't care who you are. You know, there's going to be some consequences and and uh, repercussions, and so. You know, you, you can't go out and handle yourself like a knucklehead and expect to be in the lineup the next day. You know, if you when you do things that embarrass the program, you know, again, there are there are standards that we have for our program. I, I think that helps our guys understand that it is a privilege to play at this level, play at any level, I think uh, is a privilege. And you have a responsibility to handle yourself uh, a certain way because you need to understand who you represent. And we talk about that to our guys all the time. You know, you may think you represent Michigan State, the baseball program, and, and you do. But think about who else you represent. You represent our athletic director, or you represent our entire department. You represent the president of our university and the 50-some thousand students that go to Michigan State University. You represent me personally and my family and my assistants and their families. 
You represent your family, your high school coach and his family. You represent your entire high school, you know, and so there's a lot of people that you represent. And so, you know, I think, again, when they finally they most guys have a pretty good understanding of that when they get here. The ones that don't, it's my job to educate them. I want to go back to something you mentioned a little while ago, which is social media, right? I'm sure that it plays a big role in the recruiting process in terms of kids wanting to get that acknowledgement, the gratification of getting offers or kind of talking about, you know, kind of the interest that they have. And then certainly as a coach, when you have players in the program about what they're posting on social media, can you talk about some of the challenges you see with that? Or maybe some of the maybe some of the good things you see that come out of it. Yeah, I think you know there are both, Mike, for sure. I think there's a lot of good that can come out of it. I think when you're proud of something, when you're proud of being part of big something bigger than yourself, and you're excited about that, then yeah, I'm all for letting people know. I mean, I think that's I, I try to do that with our program. When our kids do something that I'm proud of, I, I want the world to know, you know. And I think that's great. You know, I think. Uh, you know, even promoting yourself on social media, I think is, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think we have a couple rules in our program that we don't talk about any other program, but ours, you know, and so you talk about our, our rivals or, you know, when something bad happens, you know, so our rivals get beat or, or something like that, or, or, you know, you could go down to college football, basketball, wrestling. I mean, you name it, right. When, when, when somebody does something that, you know, maybe is an embarrassment to their program or is, can be taken that way. I don't want to see any negative comments about any other program, whether it be our rivals, whether it be some school that we've never played before. I don't really care. You know, we're going to post positive things about our program. Uh, and I don't want to see anything about anybody else's program because I think that can open the door to a lot of, uh, a lot of issues. And, uh, you know, I think, again, you know, when we're talking about social media, when we're talking, it's a, it's a window into who you are. And I'm proud to be at Michigan State. There's nowhere else I would rather be. And so, you know, when we're talking about social media, if we're so concerned about what this school is doing, that means we're not as, not as concerned about what we're doing, uh, which is a problem. And so I, I want the focus to be on us. I want our focus to be on us and, and what we do and what we're doing to get better uh, across the board in athletics. You know, when our when our basketball program wins, tweet it out that we're the best, you know, basketball program in the country. That's fine because I, I believe that and I know our players believe that. Same with football, whatever. But it's got it's got to be about us. We take that same approach into the dugout when we play. I don't want to hear any chirping. I don't want to hear anybody saying anything about the other team or to the other team because that's, again, we that's not what we can control. We control our team and uh, we're going to we're going to you know be enthusiastic for things that happen on our side we're going to do it with class i'm not trying to rub anybody's nose in it but i think if you come and watch us play you'll see a team that plays the game the right way and i'm proud of that yeah i think one of the things i see with high school kids is they're really aware of what other kids are doing right like oh so and so hit 90 on the radar gun so and so had this x velocity so and so is doing this that and the other thing and when they show up when they show up to a game to play those people those kids they're more focused on what they're doing across the way than what they're actually doing, right? They're looking across, they're watching them warm up. I'm very diligent about pointing out that has nothing to do with you. You go out there and focus on your game. And I, I agree with that approach because when we get caught up in what other people are doing, we compare ourselves, we could very easily lose our mental edge because we're, you know, we're too concerned about, you know, what we're not 
or what we're not doing or who's better than us doesn't matter, right? So I guess that leads me to my next question is, can you talk about what elements of the mental game you as a staff are incorporating, like what you try to do with your players on a day-to-day basis in terms of them sharpening the mental side of baseball? Yeah, you know, we organize practice in a way that um, it moves fast. We go from one thing to the next to the next. And for young guys, you know, again, those first couple of weeks, their heads are spinning. And I think part of it is just the pace of it. But part of it is the mental piece of it too, that, you know, they're not used to that, you know, bouncing from one thing to the next. I think they feel some pressure that, you know, there are a lot of, you know, they're playing against, again, guys that are 22, 23 years old, when really it just needs to be about playing the game. And so we'll, we'll turn the music up on them in different situations during practice, during batting practice, during fly ball priority to force them to communicate a little bit louder and you know, things like that. And eventually they start to slow the game down a little bit. But, you know, Mike, I mean, the recruiting process for a high school kid and the process with pro ball for our guys are very similar. You know, I think uh, we get guys that, that want to go out and try to light up a radar gun to impress somebody sitting behind the stands. And, you know, the, the focus kind of shifts from what we're doing to play for Michigan State in some instances to well, did I play well enough to get myself noticed by these pro guys and get drafted? And the sooner that our guys realize and understand the idea that the better we play as a team, the better and more opportunities you're going to have as an individual, the sooner that, you know, it, it, everybody just kind of tends to relax a little bit. You know, we had a kid a number of years ago that got up to AAA with a couple different organizations. And here, you know, we, his junior year was really, you know, the stuff was good. And he was missing a lot of barrels, but just couldn't seem to avoid, you know, the big inning. And it would be to a point where, you know, start maybe the second time through the lineup, you know, everything would start to flatten out a little bit and he would just start to get knocked around. I think that was one of his focus. He was, he was really trying to, to he, and he had somebody in his ear telling him he had to strike more guys out, which uh, we had a problem with to begin with. And so, again, I think who you listen to is very, very important. We went down and we played an, uh, an SEC opponent and the kid threw a three-hit shutout and really at that point was more resigned to the fact that, okay, I'm just going to throw the ball to the glove and whatever happens, happens. And it was the best outing of his career and he turned himself into a seventh-round draft pick and had a pretty good pro career and was knocking on the door to the big leagues. And I think that was a turning point for him where he just said, all right, I'm not going to throw it to that radar gun anymore. I'm going to throw it to the glove. And I'm going to trust in, in my ability and just let it happen. And again, it goes back to control what you can control. You can't control what somebody's opinion of you is. You can control how hard you play. You can control, you know, everything leading up to when the ball leaves the hand. Once the ball leaves the hand, there's nothing you can do about it anymore. And so I think that was a good learning point, you know, learning experience for our guy. And it's it can be difficult. You know, I think uh, control is a big thing that we all want. But, uh, you know, again... I'm not a big I don't I don't necessarily care for the phrase trust the process because everybody talks about the process and I'm, I'm <laughs> racking my brain to come up with a different way to say it but I can't and, and it's true I mean it's you know that process of you getting to that point is what's is most important that is going to that's your backbone that's your that's your you know all the hours that you spent working and studying and all of that leads to that point where you're you know, in in the heat of the moment and how you play. And so at that point, you know, you have to go out and play. And whatever, you know, whoever has whatever opinion really shouldn't matter. Just go out and play the game. Yeah, I mean, listen, I use process all the time. And yeah, I think it is a little trite. But, you know, the other word I was trying to think of something while you were talking, I think execution kind of comes to mind, right? You could execute a pitch, right? You can make a sharp pitch or you can make a good swing 
and hit the ball right at somebody. Or somebody's just better at that given moment. It doesn't mean you didn't make a good pitch. It means you got beat. That's different. You got beat because the guy on the other end was better. But it doesn't mean you didn't make a good pitch or a good play. So I think a lot of times just any athlete struggles with that because so much of the feedback we get is results driven. Well, that's why it's such a great game. That's why it's such a great game. I mean, you can make a great pitch and put it where you want to and, you know, and somebody can, you know, hit it the other way for a double, you know, but I think that's where, you know, my job is to help these guys understand. And it's the same thing that we tell recruits and we tell high school coaches, listen, you can go four for four and I don't want you, or you could go zero for four and I could call you that night with a scholarship offer. You know, the results don't necessarily matter all the time. And you just said it, the process leads to the execution. And if you can execute that pitch and somebody hits it, well, you know what? Maybe I want the hitter too then, <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> right? you know, because that guy must be pretty good too. But they, I mean, and it's the same thing, you know, with the, with these pro guys, you know, if our guys goes out and throws well and gets beat, well, who cares what his record is? Who cares what his ERA is? Cause none of that stuff really necessarily matters. There are too many other factors that are involved in win in a win for a pitcher and an earned run average and all of that for a pitcher. You know, you go out and, and execute your pitch, good things are going to happen. Absolutely. One of the things I love about being in a dugout, particularly with young people too, is like you can kind of just pay attention to what's going on. And some kids, when something bad happens, something bad happens, they'll get bad mouthy, right? They'll say like, oh, F that guy or do this. And then the kids who really love baseball go, man, that was a pretty, pretty good, pretty good swing right there. That was a really good pitch. And he, and he put a barrel on it, right? Like, that's how you know you love the game, right? Like you watch it, and you go, man, that, that's really hard to do. And that guy just did a good job. And he beat us and I tip my cap. Like, I love that about baseball, right? Just to watch somebody do something really special and say, hey, how am I going to get him back now? We lost that inning. How do we get the next one back? You know, I talk to kids about that all the time. Winning a bat, win a pitch, not like, hey, I got to win the game. It's too far away. Well, for sure. And I think that shows a lot of maturity. And the more kids you have like that on your team, I think the more you're going to end up winning. Uh, because I think those guys are, are learning as well, you know, while, the, while they're playing. Like, you know, that kid, what a great at-bat that he just had. Well, they're, obviously their mind is, is racing to, well, okay, what made that a great at-bat? As opposed to the guy that, you know, like you said, well, I mean, I can't believe that he did that. And, you know, the guy that gets upset about it. I'm not saying you have to like it, but at the same time, I think you have to learn from it. You have to be a student of the game, I think, whenever we play. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that really is a big transition for maybe young guys when they get to the college level uh, is separating that type of game. You know, the success and the failure, they're, they're both going to happen. But what did we learn? Maybe they, maybe I struck out on three pitches while there was a three-pitch sequence or maybe I had a six-pitch at-bat and ended up striking out. Well, what was the sequence of pitches in that at-bat? Because I can use that information in my next at-bat. What did I learn about that at-bat? Yeah, if I had a good at-bat, six, seven pitch at-bat, but I end up striking out, the guy that comes back to the dugout, you know, and is throwing the bat and the helmet because he struck out, hasn't learned a thing, which means it's going to happen again, as opposed to the guy that understands, well, again, you don't have to be happy about striking out, but you better take that information that you just had, that you ju was just presented to you, learn from it so that it doesn't happen again on the next at bat. And those are the guys that you want to have on your ball club. Absolutely. And the flip side of that too, is having teammates in the dugout who can recognize a good at bat and still have a seven or eight pitch, you know, strikeout at bat where you're fouling off pitches and you're right on the guy and you just get beat by one. And when it comes back to the dugout, you tap him on the head and say, Hey, that's a great at bat. Don't, don't sweat it. Get it next time. Right. That's right. Like, that's it's really important. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're running up, we're running up on time here. So I don't want to keep you, you know, past uh, another five minutes or so. But to kind of close it out, if you had to give one suggestion 
to high school athletes or looking to play college. And one suggestion to parents who are those athletes, uh, guardians, like what would you suggest, you know, to both of those groups? Well, to the, to the player, I mean, I think it's pretty easy and, you know, you may be looking for a more technical answer or, or whatever, but I just, I maybe I'm more of an old school guy, but I think play hard all the time. Your, your ability is going to speak for itself. Some guys have been blessed with a lot of ability. Some guys have been blessed with marginal ability. You can't fake that, right? Uh, guys like me, it's my job to kind of decipher that. It's our, our staff's, you know, job to decipher what kind of ability and where we see that, you know, how, how we see that playing out down the road. Your job as a player is to play as hard as you can all the time. And we tell our guys the same thing. We want to take that same approach with, with professional scouts. You know, we have a sign in our hitting building. As you walk out, it's the last thing our, our, our guys see before they walk out onto that field. And the science is just, it's pr- pretty simple. It says, impress somebody today. And that's, the, that's what, how we want to go about our business. We want to be impressive. You know, as somebody's going to see you play, we say it all the time to our kids, somebody's going to see you play for the very first time every time you play the game. And it could be somebody's mom. It could be somebody's grandfather. It could be a pro scout. It, you, who knows? I mean, somebody, though, is going to see you play every time you play the game. Your job is to leave a lasting, positive impression on that person. Like, hey, man, that number 12, I don't know who that kid is, but that kid stood out in a good way. I think that's what our job is. Whether you go four for four, you can go four for four and go completely unnoticed. And you can go 0 for four, and people will leave the field talking about you both in a good way and a bad way. So we got to make sure that we stand out in a positive way. And I would say to parents, love and support your student athlete. That's your job. Let the coach do the coaching, okay? If you feel, you know, I mean, yelling at the umpire, I think is uh, is one thing. But it, it, for me, I played for my dad, okay, in high school. So I was kind of used to that. My dad, My dad was very vocal, right? But if it came from my mom in the stands, I was the most embarrassed person out there. And I think a lot of kids feel that way. You know, when mom and dad start chirping at the umpire and start chirping at other at the other team and, and other kids' players and, and things like that, the more emotional I think you get, the more negative emotion you show, I think, as a parent, the more it embarrasses your player and your son. Uh, so your job, again, is to love your son, support your son, uh, and, and be there for him both in the, in the successes and in the failures. You know, I think your job, when they, when they fail, for my kids, if they ever had a game where there was a lack of effort, that's when I would have a problem. And that would be the conversation in the car on the way home. That would not be me yelling at them from the bleachers onto the field, right? That would be the conversation between the two of us on the way home. And that's why this is a problem. Apart from that, again, I think your job is to love and love and support your kid and let them play the game. Let them have a good time playing the game. It's great advice. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I love it. I could talk, I could talk all day about baseball, but uh, unfortunately, we don't have all day. But uh, I just want to thank you so much for coming on here today and uh, sharing some thoughts. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having me. And uh, I love that sweatshirt, man. I'm going to have to get one of those. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> all right. Well, have, I hope you and your family have a great holiday. Likewise. Thank you. Mike Huber is the founder and owner a follow the ball coaching located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at the Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe 
give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.